0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, as many of you know, uh, Troy and I have worked together for... 15 years, I think now, so I have a, I wouldn't say a complicated relationship with my husband, but it's multifaceted. So at any given time, we are oscillating between all these different relationships that we have going on. And sometimes within minutes, we can just be bouncing between the relationships that we have. Obviously, we're husband and wife. We are parenting partners of our new teenage daughter, which involves a lot more conversations than I think we've ever had before about Parenting. Uh, We're also colleagues. We literally work side by side uh, together on so many projects. But he's also my boss now. Uh, When we were here, we were colleagues, strictly colleagues. We were peers. We were equal. No longer. He is now officially my boss and has been for the last four years because he literally employs me to be the associate minister at our church. And so most of the time, I effortlessly move from relationship to relationship, and uh, often just intuitively. Occasionally, though, I need to clarify uh, before I speak or during a conversation about exactly who I am speaking to because there are things you can say to your husband that you can't say to your boss. There are things you can say to your boss that you can't say to your husband. So often I'm just saying, who am I talking to? In this moment... Are you about to listen as my boss or my husband? So it gets a little complicated. Now, I I assume most of you don't have that kind of complicated relationship, but we do have a multifaceted relationship with God. And I don't know if you've thought about it like that, but we have a similar kind of multifaceted relationship with God in the way that we approach Him suddenly. And I want you to think about that because often... The way we approach him, and I love what Catherine said, we can be over, overly familiar sometimes. And so, what I want to talk about today is changing our approach. I don't want us to stop being familiar with God, but I want to make sure that we balance that with an approach that is reverent. You know, uh, in our complicated relationship uh, that I have with my husband, uh, we also share an office. Which you know because we don 't spend enough time together let 's actually share an office together as well, and so this one particular afternoon, we were having one of those multifaceted uh, conversations for about half an hour, and i 'm just sitting there, and you know we touched on um, husband and wife stuff, we touched on parenting we touched on colleague stuff, and we suddenly realized that it was about five minutes to two, and we both had a meeting at two o'clock. So we both stand up and we go to our meeting, and our meeting was with each other um, in a different room. And it was my performance review. Yes. Yes. I have to sit in a performance review with my husband. But this was at 2 o'clock, so we walk into our meeting room where we have our meetings, and I I, I immediately sat down and I kicked off my shoes and I curled up my legs underneath me because that's what I do when I sit on the lounge, and I was still eating a packet of chips. And so I brought them with me because I'm still talking to the person I was just talking to, and I suddenly realised that I'm in my performance review, no shoes, curled up on the lounge, snacking. And part of me went, it's not quite appropriate. The other part of me went, but it's just Troy. And then I thought, if this was a performance review with any other person, any other boss, Graham Agnew, for example, (laughs) would I be sitting on the lounge without my shoes, feet curled up underneath me, snacking, in my performance review with GA? What do you think? No. So why is it okay? that I'm sitting in my performance review with this boss in this relaxed and casual attitude. It wasn't okay. So I sat up straight, I put my shoes back on, and I put the chips away. And I gave him the honour and the respect that he deserved as my boss. He didn't say a word, I'm sure he noticed. I can promise you he would notice. But can you see the difference in my approach? It was so important that in that moment, I changed my approach to him. Not because he asked for it, but because in this moment, even though at 1.45, that that approach was completely appropriate, at 2 p.m. it wasn't. My emphasis had to change because he was different in that moment. He was the same person. He was still my husband. He was still my parenting partner. He was still my colleague. But the emphasis now for the next hour was that he was my boss. Are you with me? We have to make sure that we can change our approach also when it comes to God. You and I have to embrace the fact that we can have a casual and informal and intimate relationship with God. You and I are privileged to live at this time and to be part of this faith tradition that means that we can chat to God anywhere, anytime. How fantastic is that? We sing songs, we we read books about the fact that God is our best friend and because of Jesus Christ we have unfettered access to God and that is amazing, absolutely amazing but we have to make sure that we balance that and that we never ever forget that he is also the Lord God Almighty that he is the great I am that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And in the same way that I needed to shift my approach, at times with Troy, you and I have to shift our approach. God is still our heavenly dad that we can chat to anytime we like, but we can never, ever forget that he is the Lord God Almighty. And there will be times that we need to make sure we have changed our approach. Now, you don't have a performance review with God, okay? I promise you. But in the same way that performance review that I had with Troy, it triggered a change in approach. We need to have something that triggers our change in approach. Now, you may already have this, but I didn't. I realized that I just would casually chat to God all the time and I never really set aside time to to change that approach to force me to look at him differently. And so I discovered this, and I want to share it with you this morning. It was a pathway. It's a pathway that I use, a map, if you like, that I follow, like the picture that we have on the screen, a blueprint of how I change my approach. And it can take me minutes or it can take me hours. But it allows me to go from just chatting to my heavenly dad to approaching the throne room of heaven. And it's like sitting up straight and putting my shoes on and getting rid of the packet of chips and coming before God in the way that he deserves. You know, the pathway that I want to talk to you about this morning is from the Old Testament. And it's a... It's something that has just changed the way I look at, you know, taking something, a structure that we see in the Old Testament and applying it to a spiritual part of our life. And, and I want to share it with you and hope that it can um, help you to maybe make those appointments with God and maybe be the trigger that you need. Is that all right? Excellent. You're very quiet again. Is that all right? Excellent. So Sam's in Israel. And if you've been following him on Facebook, you've seen fantastic photos. But there's a place that he's not going to go. And uh, I've been to Israel a couple of times and I'm going back again in January. And there's this place that I always take our students when we go. And this is a place called Timna. And it's down in the southern uh, desert of Israel. And they've created a national park down there. And in this national park, they have built a life-size replica of the tabernacle the tent of meeting and you walk around and if you have your Bible and you're opening it and you're reading from Exodus 25 to 30 and you read all those things that you never quite understood about cubits and all this stuff, that's the stuff. It makes so much sense when you're standing in front of the post that they're describing. And so in Israel, you can go to this place and you can walk around the tabernacle. And if you don't know what the tabernacle is, it, it's kind of like their portable temple. Um, it was you know, back in the early part of, of the Old Testament when they spent their 40 years wandering around in the desert. They would pack this down and then move and then unpack it. And it was literally their center of worship. And what would happen is that the priests would operate in here on behalf of the people and they would go through this place in a very particular fashion. This was so structured, it was so exact, not only the physical dimensions of the place but also what the priests would do on their way through. This is a very simplified version but what they would do is that they would go through the gates which don't look like gates to us but you can't really tell but just here it's a different kind of fabric. That was the gates into the tabernacle and that would take you into the court of the tabernacle which is all that space and then they would head to the basin. This basin just here And they would wash themselves and cleanse themselves and then they would go to the altar which is kind of here. It's irreverent to say but it's kind of like a really big barbecue because that's where they did the animal sacrifices. And once they had done the sacrifice here, then and only then could they go into the tent. The tent was split into two parts and in the front part there were a whole lot of sacred items and in the back part was the Holy of Holies that only... The high priest would enter. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this was all very precise and all very exact. And the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And you see, the thing is, this pathway was very clear to them, through the gates, into the courts, to the altar, and then and only then into the Holy of Holies. Now the Old Testament teacher in me is screaming because there's so much I'm not telling you about all of this and it's very, very important. But now's not the time. So if you want to read more, read Exodus. It's very important. But basically, all you really need to know is that this was the centre of their worship, the focus of their worship and the structure and the pathway were very, very important. And you and I don't have to do any of this. But this structure and this blueprint, this pathway is a great model for us from a spiritual point of view. Now, if you've noticed, we don't have priests. You don't have animal sacrifices here on a Sunday morning. We don't need to do that anymore because that was all part of the old covenant, all part of the old promise. They needed to have blood spilt to restore the relationship with God. We don't need to do that. It's already been done through Jesus Christ. So this pathway for us is not about getting right with God. We are already right with God through Jesus. Instead, this is a reminder to us, a trigger for us to move from that casual and intimate relationship with our heavenly dad to following through this pathway in a spiritual sense to remind ourselves who he is and how we need to change our approach to him. We need to come before him, kneel before him, come face first before him, literally or figuratively, to remind ourselves that he is God and we are not. That he is all-knowing and we are not. That he is in control of everything and we are not. That he is the creator of the universe and guess what? We are not. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that and so this pattern changes our approach. And so what I want to do, is I want to just go through this very, very quickly in a way that you can now apply to your quiet times with God. Is that all right? All right, so if you've got your Bibles, I want you just to quickly, um, or I'm going to have it on the screen anyway. The first two parts of this pathway we read about in in Psalm 100. And uh, the Psalm kind of puts them together, and we're going to read about them together, but then we're going to look at them separately. In In Psalm 100 it says this, we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, that's just something we often sing, don't we? Just rolls off our tongue. Enter the gates of thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and we don't really give it any other thought. But it actually teaches us how to come before God, to give thanks to him and to praise his name. I love the way the message puts it. It says, Enter, enter into the presence of God with the password. Thank you. How cool is that? Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him and worship him. These are the first two steps on our pathway. These are the first two steps. It's like me sitting up straight and putting my shoes on. The first two steps to changing our approach. So let's look at them individually. The gates of thanksgiving. When we are to enter the gates of thanksgiving, it is like opening it's like taking that very first step. And giving thanks is powerful because giving thanks to anyone, but particularly God, changes our approach. We don't have time to read all of Psalm 77, but um, read it when you get home if you can. Psalm 77 is, is a psalm written by um, a guy. It's not by David, we don't think, but he's not very happy. There's some not very happy psalms, aren't there? And this guy, massive pity party, woe is me, everything's terrible. You know, just some of it. He says, why are you rejecting me forever, God? Why will you never show me favor again? Why have you vanished? Why are you failing me? Why have you forgotten me? Pity party, pity party, pity party. And it's like he's standing outside that tabernacle so far from God, but he needs God more than anything. And you can read this psalm and it's like suddenly, it's almost like he pauses and he realises this is not working. I can keep complaining, but it's not getting me any closer to God. And it's like he realises and it's like I need to do something different. And it's like he opens the gates and he steps towards God. And he changes the things that he says. He starts to remember what God has already done. He starts to remember how good God has been. And so he starts to thank him. He starts to thank him for everything that he's done. And it changes his attitude, changes his outlook. It changes his focus because he has opened the gates of thanksgiving and he has stepped forward towards God. Changes everything. He lifts God up above his complaint and above his circumstances just by opening his mouth and saying thank you. Opening the gates of thanksgiving for us is just thanking God. It is not rocket science. Thanking God and it reminds us what God has done and it is the first step to changing our approach. But... We don't just stop there. We enter the courts with praise because Psalm 100 says, enter the courts, enter the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. You can't help. Once you open those gates, you automatically step into those courts. But to spend time in the courts, we do that through praise. Now, you and I know what praise is. We know that. We know what it's like to praise other people, don't we? We know what it's like to say good things about people. We actually know how to praise ourselves too, don't we? It's just as simple to praise God. It is articulating how we feel. And the thing is that God doesn't need our praise, but he appreciates it. And more importantly, he responds to it. You know, one of the things I love about Troy is that he publicly praises me all the time. If you're in our church, it you know, won't be a couple of weeks that he says something absolutely wonderful about me from the platform. And, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively balanced person. I'm, I'm fairly well adjusted. I actually don't need him to do that. If the Sunday goes past and he doesn't say something nice, I still have a good day. Okay, I don't need it, but I appreciate it. It communicates so much to me and also to our church. Just how he values me and how he honours me. It's incredibly powerful and the same thing goes for God. Our praise is simply us saying how incredible God is, what he has done for us, how faithful he is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is, in the true sense of the word, not the way we throw it around these days. And it changes our approach because it changes our posture. Remember, shoes on, sitting up straight. Praise changes our posture and it's because it adjusts our relationship to God in reference to him. Our praise lifts him higher than us. Our praise lifts God up above everything else that we love. Our praise lifts God up over the things that we are fearful of. It lifts him higher than the things that control us. It lifts us higher than the things that we are fearful of. It lifts him higher than the things that we are seeking after. If you've ever changed the tyre on a car and you know, like with a jack, you know, every time you pump it or every time you turn it, the car gets higher and higher and higher, doesn't it? That's what praise does. Every word of praise lifts God higher and higher and higher until he is towering over everything else in our life. We praise God by the singing words of praise, by writing words of praise in a journal, by speaking words of praise as we recite scripture, as we pray words of praise. It doesn't matter how they are, how they come. But the thing is, as great as just chatting to God, when you're walking to work or when you wake up in the morning, I chat to God all the time. The danger, and maybe this is just me, but the danger is is that I chat to him as an equal. He is not my equal. He graciously, as my heavenly dad, listens to me rabbit on like an equal. But He is not my equal. And praise reminds me of that but we can't stop there if you remember the picture of the tabernacle, there's the gates and then there's the courts, we don't sit down in the courts and have a picnic we still have steps to go and the next place we need to go is the altar of sacrifice now in the tabernacle this is where things got messy literally, blood and guts everywhere and the same thing in some ways, happens for us. Not as much blood and guts, but it sometimes feels like it. The altar of sacrifice involves sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was there to cover sin. The blood was spilt to cover sin. But if you're kind of paying attention, you go, but I don't need to cover sin anymore. Jesus has covered my sin once and for all. So if he made the once and for all sacrifice, why do I need to sacrifice anything? We need to sacrifice something because we need to sacrifice ourselves. It is our response to what Jesus has already done for us. You know, in Romans 12, it is very, very clear. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Doesn't mince words, does he? The message version puts it like this, just so we can kind of put some flesh on it if you like. So here is what I want you to do. This is what it means to sacrifice. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary, sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That is what we need to do At the altar of sacrifice, it is not enough to just open the gates with thanksgiving and to enter the courts with praise. We then have to come to the altar of sacrifice. And one of the reasons I think our relationship with God is not what we want it to be is because we never get to the altar of sacrifice. And if we do, we don't stay there very long. Do you know why? We're living sacrifices. A dead animal didn't get off the altar. We are a living sacrifice. So it's up to us, one, if we get on the altar, and two, how long we stay there. Because if it gets too hard, what do we do? We climb back down again. Now, we're not talking about, you know, the big barbecue. The altar for us is the cross of Christ. We are to surrender ourselves. We are to die to ourselves, We are to die to what we want. We are to die to our pride, die to our stubbornness, die to our independence, die to that attitude we all have that says, how dare you tell me what to do? But we don't like that, do we? And we may climb up on that altar for a few minutes, but then we climb back down again. But in Galatians, Paul says that we are to climb up onto that altar and we are to say this. This has to be what we say to ourselves. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live for faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not enough to just enter the gates with thanksgiving and enter the courts with praise. We need to surrender ourselves. That is when we fall on our knees before God. Literally, if we have to. And the problem is, and maybe it's just me, it's so hard to get to that point and it's so hard to stay at that point, isn't it? But that act of surrender, after, in the tabernacle, the sacrifice then they could enter the Holy of Holies. After we die to ourselves, after we surrender ourselves, it is that moment when we can approach God in a way that we can't any other way. That is the sacred place where we come before him as our Lord God Almighty. Now, I'm talking about this stuff in a literal way. But I don't want you to think of it as hoops you need to jump through. Hoops you need to jump through for God to pay any attention to you or for God to like you or to love you. He already, you know, you already have his attention. He already loves, he already adores you. Instead, I want you to think of this not as hoops to jump through but as a guide, a pathway for you to follow. Because there is nothing wrong with chatting to God casually. Nothing wrong, and I hope you do it all the time. But it needs to be balanced with these moments of sacredness, these moments of holiness where we come before him, where we change our approach and we come before him as the Lord God Almighty, as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords, not because he is on some power trip, but because we owe him that reverence, we owe him that holy fear. Yes, he is our heavenly dad, but he's also the Lord God Almighty. And we want to honour and respect that. As we approach our heavenly dad like that, that is true worship. That is making sure that we are in no doubt that he has the number one spot in our life above everything else, We're about to come to a time of communion. And both now and also during the week, I want you to think about this. I want you to actually make an appointment with God this week. I want you to schedule it like I scheduled my performance review. And what I want you to do is I want you to come before God and I want you to walk through the gates of thanksgiving. And I want you to spend time in the courts with praise. And then... I want you to surrender yourself on the altar of sacrifice because then you can enter that sacred place as you kneel before God as your Lord God Almighty. And in a few moments we're going to take communion and I'm going to invite you to come out the front but I'm going to leave this on the screen. And even in the few minutes that you have for communion you can still do this. You could spend three hours doing this. You could spend 20 minutes doing this or you could spend two or three minutes as we have now to do this. And as you take the bread and as you take the cup, that represents Jesus' broken body, the reason we have unfettered access to God. And I want you to come before him and I want you to thank him and praise him and surrender yourself to him as you take the bread and as you take the cup. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare for communion?